I solemnly swear that I am up to no good. Messrs. Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot and Prongs are proud to present the Marauder's Map. If you succeed tonight, more than one innocent life may be spared. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Hogwarts, a pod. If you recognize that name, we got a Hogwarts, a history mention in this chapter. Very exciting. Uh, it's chapter nine, Grim Defeat, and we have Julie with us back again. Hi guys, I'm so excited to be back. This is my favorite Harry Potter book. Fun fact, my least favorite Harry Potter movie, though. The movie is like the screenwriters just looked at a non-fact-checked Wikipedia page and didn't actually read the book. She's got takes, people. She's got takes. (laughs) Uh, We were talking, though, like, um, in one of the previous chapters, Lupin's first lesson. And uh, with the Boggarts and and the wardrobe. In the movie, they pretty much did that one line for line, like word for word. Okay, I don't Minus think... some of the fears. I don't think any of these screenwriters get any props. They completely dismantled the book. Everything's out of order. They threw in random things just because, like, yay, movie magic! Like, the first two movies, I feel like, were so close to, like, almost verbatim of the books. Shorter, they cut too. Out, yeah. I mean, they cut out some things that you could argue, like have an impact, but I think they were the easier things to cut out. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, this movie, they were just, like, it's like they dropped all of the scenes on the floor and then just shoved them together, and they were like, this is the new order. It's interesting, because this movie, as Julie is saying, gets a lot of flack from fans, but from, like, movie critics, it's highly considered the best Harry Potter movie, given this like the cinematic feel of it. Yeah, I will fight them. It's the worst movie. Julie versus movie critics. (laughs) We'll have a movie fight. Anyway, this chapter, um, we had a little bit going on. We had Dumbledore kind of taking charge after the attack of the fat lady, uh, who would not open for Sirius. Mm -hmm. So then we have them all move into the Great Hall, essentially, for protective uh, reasons, which I think is actually a great move because we've had so many discussions about the Chamber of Secrets and how the protection of students was, you know, odd at best at times. Okay, they still haven't gotten much better here. They I still mean, haven't gotten much they, better. They brought everyone together. At In a least. great hall where they can secure it. Yeah. Yes. But, I mean, when you're putting the prefix and the head boy and the head girl in charge, like, you're still putting teenagers in charge. And that in reality, true. your prefix and your head boy and your head girl aren't necessarily picked based on dueling ability or anything like that. Most of the time it's, you know, the more academic, the good students. So, like, Uh you're literally just saying, hey, valedictorian, you're in charge. Honor society, you guys stand guard. Hope you can throw a punch against a mass murderer. Yep, that's very true. I I will be a little bit more lenient on the head boy, head girl, since they're almost finished products in their schooling and their education. But I do agree with you. Still teenagers. That's fair. I do agree (laughs) with you on the prefects part of it, though. Like, they're charged with manning the entrances to the Great Hall, and, you know, 15, 16, whatever they happen to be as prefects, yeah, I'm not putting a whole lot of stock and faith into that. (laughs) (laughs) Dementors can't uh, keep Sirius Black in check, but those 15-year-olds, let me tell ya. Yep. 
Um, I do like the mention, though, of the description of the Great Hall, because basically Dumbledore comes in, waves his wand, tables go up against the walls, sleeping bags appear, and they just basically get to, quote-unquote, camp out (laughs) under the stars of the Great Hall, which is kind of a cool vibe. I mean, at least it's like a cool, terrifying moment, unlike, you know, the past couple of years that we've experienced Hogwarts. (laughs) Yeah, like, I mean, you're putting that many kids in the same spot, all the teachers leave, and you expect them to just be quiet and go to bed after, like... I mean, you have Buzzkill Percy in charge, so, I mean... (laughs) He does a fairly good job of wrangling it, but, yeah, um, it was an interesting setup. We do have our first mention of Apparition, though, Mm -hmm. Um, because people were obviously kind of speculating on how Sirius Black would get into the castle, and people are, like, flying around, but we have our first... Mention of apparition, which they give a explanation of right off Immediately the bat. Immediately yeah. afterwards. Apparition, this is what it is. Uh, appearing and disappearing at will. Um, kind of an interesting thing. It will reappear. No pun intended on that. <laughs> uh, um, but, thank you. So, uh, yeah, so obviously they're talking about what happened and how that could have happened. Uh, we do find out later that we do have a replacement for the fat lady because she's unwilling to go back and guard the tower uh, for obvious reasons. And the portrait needs to be repaired by Filch, which I think is interesting. Yeah. How do you repair a magical portrait is my question. Because, like, obviously they can move. Like, I get how you would repair a muggle portrait like there's specific paints, but yeah. specific techniques and stuff like that. But, like, how do you, especially for Filch who's a squib and can't do magic. Right. So you'd think there'd be some type of magic to get the portrait. You know what? I'm not going to overthink this one. I'm uh-huh. going to go with the dumb answer of literally glue and just <laughs> and just put the painting back Although, on the Although, actually, I wonder if it's, like, the original paint, because they would all have, like, a home painting, for lack of a better term. I wonder if you just need to essentially repair the canvas and then... That's what I'm thinking. Repaired. I'm thinking they literally just reapply the canvas and i think the magic in the portraits i'm assuming is in the the paint itself so as long as the paint isn't like taken off if it's just rips in the canvas just (laughs) put back the canvas i'm going the dumb answer i'm literally (laughs) going the dumbest answer possible um because i have no faith in filch so the new uh guardian portrait if you will is uh, I always pronounce this name wrong. Sir Cadigan? Cadigan? Sure. Cadigan. I don't know. Uh, becomes the new uh, portrait for Gryffindor, uh, Gryffindor Tower, and the students immediately hate him because he comes up with new passwords every like couple of hours. Which I find shocking because I never thought that it was the portraits that picked the password and changed the password. Up until this point, I just assumed that it was like the head of house is like, oh, well, it's been six weeks. Let's change it. Does he find a way to tell like McGonagall or tell Percy at all or the prefects (laughs) at all? Or does he just like, does Percy roll up one day and is like, (laughs) I don't don't know how like. I'm now imagining Percy like in front of the portrait being like, I am head boy. That is not the password. You cannot change the password without speaking to me. That is exactly how he would do that, yes. Tone, word for word, exactly. Anyway, so there's a lot of excitement there, uh, but most of this chapter really takes place on the Quidditch pitch. Mm -hmm. There's a big Quidditch chapter, and 
we get a mention because Oliver Wood is very, very nervous about this matchup. It was supposed to be Gryffindor Slytherin. Slytherins get swapped out because of Malfoy's horrible, horrible injury that he sustained. Overdramatics. Yes. Um, and it's terrible weather. So, shockingly, the Slytherins get out of it, Hufflepuffs get put in, and Oliver Wood's freaking out because Cedric Diggory is the new captain and seeker for the Hufflepuff Quidditch team. He's a fifth-year student. Uh, This is information that we get on him in this chapter. He's fifth-year, new captain of Hufflepuff. He's, quote, popular with... Well, not, quote, popular with the ladies. We get it because all of the Quidditch ladies start giggling at the mention Mm -hmm. of his name. So Cedric's clearly popular with uh, the ladies of Hogwarts. And, you know, we'll get into him as a Quidditch player a little bit later. But, yeah, Oliver Wood just goes on and on and on about how Cedric Diggory is the best thing ever. So he's worried. The other Gryffindor members, not as worried, which then worries him more. But my issue, and I think we've talked about this before, was how do you play Quidditch in weather that's literally like thunder and lightning and you're on a wooden broomstick? Are there no safety regulations anywhere at this school? There has to be like none. Like, absolutely zero. I mean, like, listen, I played soccer for, like, a decade. And you play in terrible rain, but the second there was a strike of lightning, you were done. Yep. Mm -hmm. Game was done, game was rescheduled, whatever. But you're not even on the ground. You're in the air with high winds, heavy rain, thunder, lightning. I get that there's magic, so, like, if you're injured... I guess it might not be as bad, or maybe they can do more for you because there's magic, but, like, seriously, does no one consider safety anywhere at this school? They just go, like, oh, well, it'll be fine. Here's, and to go deeper into this, this is the first Quidditch match of the year, and it's November. Like, can we maybe have the first two matches in, like, September or October, right at the beginning when it's still kind of nice, and then have the last two matches in, like, April or May before school gets out. Or just do, like, all of the matches in April and May to kind of, like, amp up the end of the school year and have the, like, training. Yeah, not as aggressive. A little bit of rain, but not, you know, freezing cold weather and terrible, like... It just seems like a bad idea. Who wants to... I know it was a packed Quidditch stadium here. Who? Who wants to go out and watch Quidditch (laughs) in this weather? I mean, Dan, you know this about me. I'm not a huge sports person, but in no world would I be out in that stadium when it is pouring rain, super windy, and awful. I'd be like, nope, it's fine. I'll sit in the common room by myself. Julie would be running the one-woman show in the Hogwarts Theater. (laughs) Yes, that is correct. (laughs) While everybody is out at the Quidditch pitch. Anyway, um, yeah, so during this match, obviously it's rough conditions. You get up into the air and it's hard to see. It's hard to hear. You can't even see the other players. You can't see the bludgers coming at you. And Harry, because of course Harry notices everything. So he sees in the stands the outline of this Grim that has been giving him so much... uh, I don't want to say anxiety. That's too harsh, but... It's been on his mind. Yeah, it's been on his mind quite a bit, and which Trelawney did not help in her first <laughs> lesson. Uh, but he sees this enormous shaggy black dog, or the outline of which, in the clouds as lightning strikes. And then he loses focus, tries to look for it again, gone. And then Oliver Wood yells at him, like,
like, dude, behind you, see Cedric Diggory racing towards uh, a flick of gold between them, realizes that the snitch is there, tries to, but then her Harry back at the Hogwarts Express starts feeling this cold and heavy feeling, looks down, he says there's, he says hundreds. Yeah. Yeah. He says hundreds of dementors on the ground, and shortly thereafter, passes out, wakes up in the hospital wing. Mm -hmm. And uh, my favorite part of this description is they've never seen Dumbledore so angry. And I would never want to see that man, like, truly ticked off. Well, especially from some of the people who are saying that they've never seen Dumbledore that angry. Mm -hmm. Like... You know, it's one thing for the students who are like, oh my god, we've never seen him that angry. When, you know, he's starting off the start of your feast with, like, middle bit, finny fanny. (laughs) Finny fanny. (laughs) That was it. Uh, And so it's interesting to hear people who would have probably seen more of a anger out of Dumbledore also Mm -hmm. kind of expressing, like, how angry he was. Um, That's gotta be a sight. Like, that would terrify me. See, but, like, I want to know, is it, like, one of those, like, raging angers? Or is it, like, one of those, like, kill you with silence? Because I see Dumbledore as more of a, like, you can tell that he's fuming, but, like, still calm, collected. See, that's his normal. That's his normal. Like, if he's getting that angry, that's his usual. This instance, I feel like he let loose a little bit. Because he obviously dispelled all of these Dementors. Mm -hmm. So if there were truly hundreds of Dementors on this Quidditch pitch and he's waving his wand and they're all scattering. Which also, like, think about how powerful. I mean, we already know that Dumbledore is extremely powerful. Um, But with the, spoiler but not spoiler, but a little bit of the spell that it takes for Dementors... Talk about this in the spoiler section a little bit more, but think about how much power Dumbledore has to be able to get this, rid of. It would be an interesting thing. Actually, let me make a note because I'm getting in a good habit here. <laughs> yeah, it would be an interesting thing to get into in the spoilers for mm-hmm. sure. So the other thing about this meeting in the hospital wing is we find out a lot of information. A Obviously, Hufflepuff won by 100 points, which they then spend a little, little minute figuring out how they could still Doing a win. lot of math. <laughs> yeah, a lot of math, a lot of scenarios, which it's the first match of the season, so there's a lot that can happen. But uh, we find out Harry's broom gets destroyed towards the end of this conversation uh, when Pomfrey kicks out the rest of the Quidditch team, because Harry's obviously getting quite distraught. Which, the interesting thing to me about the broom is, like, when, during the match, when Harry's talking about the conditions, mm-hmm. he's saying that while he's on his Nimbus, that he's kind of getting tossed around by the wind. Mm-hmm. And, like, don't get me wrong, Nimbus 2001 came out, the Fireball came out, but, like, he still has a pretty good broom, and he's getting tossed around. Like, the second best broom on the market right now. Yeah. yeah. So, like, what's happening second to the Weasleys right now? Right? And they're clean sweeps or whatever they have. Yeah. Or the people who have to borrow, like, the school brooms. Like, what's happening to them? Because if Harry's being, like, whipped around in the wind on, like, 
one of the top three broom mm-hmm. models out right now. Like, what's happening to the people who... Yeah, I mean, you'd have to get into your Oliver Wood strategy and be like, okay, you got to fight closer to the ground. you got to stay, like, more in formation. Maybe, I don't know. Because here you'd think would be up in the air a little bit more, more yeah. in the elements. But, yeah, no, you, yeah, it's a good point. If he's got one of the top-line brooms, some of these older ones probably is not getting the job done. I did forget to mention, uh, you know, Harry's kind of telling him what he saw uh, for the most part. I don't think he mentions the Grim, and he doesn't. He neglects to mention hearing a woman screaming. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty detailed description of the screams. So I can imagine that's occupying a lot of Harry's thoughts and emotions and that insecurity. I don't think he's put it together yet what all of it means exactly. Mm-hmm. But obviously he's been the only one to hear voices in the past. He's the only one to hear screaming when it happened on the Hogwarts Express. So he's reluctant to kind of share some of these details because obviously Keeping it in has done so well for him in the past. It has. But people are already fawning over him to an aggressive level already. Yeah. So, which we'll see more as we get along further. But it was a heavy Quidditch episode for sure. Heavy Quidditch chapter. Uh, We have some stuff to get into in the spoilers. Yes. So let's take a pause here, and then we'll jump right in with some of Julie's thoughts on other chapters, other episodes. Um, She has some uh, just awful takes on Cedric Diggory, which we'll get into. (laughs) Not that awful. (laughs) And uh, and we'll be right back. You, you foul and loathsome them evil little cockroach. We are back for the spoilers (laughs) section of uh, Chapter 9, Grim Defeat. We have a lot to talk about here. Um... We did not, Snape was a big factor in this chapter, and we didn't talk about him a whole lot in the non-spoiler. We will talk about him in the spoiler section here. Uh, actually, let's just get right to Snape. So Lupin is, quote-unquote, out sick or out ill from a lesson, and Snape is the man in charge and gets that. How quickly do you think he volunteered for this? I don't, okay, so I don't think he volunteered for this and here's my reasoning so if you go back to when all the students are in the great hall since Sirius slash the fat lady Snape brings up to Dumbledore that um he has a concern with someone who was recently appointed yes he's trying to keep this very hush hush because Percy's like right there the irony of that whole thing too is like Ron, Harry, and Hermione hear this whole thing, and they meddle in everything and anything else that happens in the castle, but this where they're like, do you remember the warning I gave you and my concerns? And they're just like, huh, that was weird, and just like move about their lives. Dumbledore shut it down so efficiently, though, of just like, yes, I do. (laughs) But still, like, I feel like you could have, like, told them that, like, somebody's first name was spelled wrong and they would spend like a week looking into Probably. it. So very I just Scooby-Doo thought that style. Was very, yeah. like, bizarre that like some clear animosity is being, you know, shelled out from Snape. And even with Dumbledore shutting it down, they're just like, eh, whatever. But I think that after that animosity, like, I can't imagine that Snape, no matter how badly he wants to teach defense against the dark arts, 
I can't imagine that when he's already brewing the Wolfsbane potion, I can't imagine that he's also like, hey, let me take over his workload too. Like, I feel like this was purely a Dumbledore was like, Severus, you got this, right? Ah, uh, see, I don't know. I think this is his opportunity to be like, I get to teach them about werewolves. I don't care where they're at. I don't care where they're at in the book. We're going straight to page 394. See, but I feel like he also could have done that in potions, too, because he could have just switched it around and been like, yeah, we're not going to do a shrinking solution today. We're going to talk about Wolfsbane. And not make it, but just talk about it. He could have accomplished the same exact thing. Maybe. Well, yeah. And I feel like that would have been sneakier than being like, hey, your professor's out today. I don't think he cares at all about being sneaky. (laughs) I think he's very pointedly trying to out Lupin, I mean, 100%. Yeah. But um, he takes over this lesson, and usually he's like particularly mean to Neville and Harry and Ron. He was particularly mean to Hermione in this chapter. <laughs> this is the insufferable know-it-all line. Yeah. But um, I also love that the whole time, like, I mean, no one ever stands up to Snape. Mm-hmm. Because they're all afraid of him to some degree, and because it seems like anyway that he's one of the only professors that um, automatically gives out punishment without like thinking like, oh, okay, I'll give you one strike. The whole point system is right up Snape's alley. It's like uh, a crush yeah. of his. <laughs> but like, I just think it's so funny that in this one, it shows you how much the students like love Lupin. Because all of them are, like, any Gryffindor that didn't show bravery before, man, did that bravery show up in this class. Ron has the comeback line of it all. I mean, he's the one that kind of snaps. Yeah. Which gets him the detention. (laughs) But, like, I think it's so funny that Snape, for half of it, like, he doesn't really do his normal, like, points away, points away, points away, detention, detention, like... He just, like, has the clapbacks ready for everyone. Like, are you teaching this class or am I? Yeah. No, and that's, again, why I think he was so ready for this lesson. He's like, oh, he's, like, stretching ahead of time. He's, like, (laughs) getting warmed up for this. See, but I think that it's since he was forced to teach the class that he was like, that's it. I'm done. I've done enough for this guy who did nothing for me. We're done. Because at this point, he's already had so many opportunities that he could have, you know, fueled the fire to point them. I mean, you have Hermione, who will, like, look up anything for any reason. Right. And, and. Who's clearly already read, like, out. this entire book. But, um. Yeah. yeah. Like, the, I think that it was the, he already has to help. Then Sirius Black gets into the castle and essentially attacks the castle. Then Dumbledore's like, nope, not Lupin. He didn't help. And then Snape's like, you know what? Now I have to sub for his class and teach his class. I already dealt with all these nitwit children. Like, I'm done. I'm going to teach them something that's in their textbook so that no one can say that I was pointing out that their professor is a werewolf. Instead, I'm teaching the source material. Uh, we both agree, because we were talking about this in um, the break, but we both agree that we think Dumbledore pointed Lupin post Sirius Black. Yes. Escaping. I think that makes the most sense, that 
he would have been after Sirius Black escapes. Logically, it makes sense to bring back someone who knows him best, um, would know what, I guess, tricks are up his sleeve. Um, who could also, by the way, teach the subject. Yeah, who also <laughs> could teach the subject because yeah. they're in a textbook. He checks a lot of he checks yeah. a lot of boxes. Yeah. Before we get too far away from it, uh, and I did write it down, so we would come back to it. <laughs> the idea of Dumbledore with all of the Dementors. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about how powerful he must be to dispel that many away. And then it made me think of, I mean, yeah, just the magic. Just the, you know, expecto patronum of it all as our opening will lead you <laughs> down, <laughs> down that path. But just that, the spell alone and what it takes to get a Dementor away from you is one thing. And it's significant. And when there's a hundred of them, that's significant. But then you take into account, and this is what I thought of when you mentioned it, when you take into account Dumbledore's history and his thoughts that must be popping into his head when he's surrounded by a hundred Dementors and Ariana and Aberforth and Grindelwald, then you're like, the fact that he's still able to dispel that many uh, with all of those dark thoughts mm-hmm. in his past, he's a, obviously... A very gifted individual. (laughs) Well, because when you think ahead a couple of books, once you get to when Harry um, is taking his owls and the, I don't know, croc, or like, I hear you can make Patronus kind of see it. Like, that tells you how rare it is in the wizarding world itself that someone who is like supposed to be, you know, judging your magical ability is acting like it's seeing an elephant for the first time in your life or something like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's so... Especially because you get, like, Harry at that point can do a full corporeal Patronus. Yes. Like, it takes a definitive shape. And hangs out. All we've gotten so far in these books is wisps of light. Mm -hmm. Which doesn't mean that Lupin and Dumbledore obviously... I would assume they can produce a full-bodied real one. Yeah. Uh, but we just haven't seen that, or the kids haven't recognized it or anything like that. Yeah. Well, because, like, I just think it's so interesting that when you know that most of the wizarding world has never seen one or created one that actually has a form, and then you have Dumbledore that is able to make a Patronus that wards off Hundred Dementors? Hundreds? However many there were? Like, mm-hmm. It brings me back to, even though we're skipping ahead a couple of books, to that Inferi scene in the cave, in the cave mm-hmm. where he just, an innumerable amount of opponents, and he's just able to whip his wand around, well, bam. And, and they're just all gone. Yep. And it, his power levels are through the roof. Uh, whether that's the Elder Wand or him or a combination of the two. Oh, I guess I didn't really think about... The Elder Wand portion it of it. definitely helps. It's a power boost. Yeah. But I wonder, <laughs> sure. like, how much of that, how much of Dumbledore's, this might be an argument for another day, but how much of Dumbledore's greatness is from the Elder Wand? Yeah. It, it's something we've kind of broached a little bit in this podcast, but we've never really delved in because, obviously, Elder Wand becomes a bigger deal later on. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely a conversation to have because yeah. I do think it does play a role. But... 
before we get to your thoughts on other episodes and chapters, we have to, I took a look at Julie's notes beforehand and she said there was, so one of the things that Cedric Diggory did in this chapter was not only did he make girls giggle when he's mentioned in passing, uh, not only is he the new captain, which is for those that don't know, I, I know you were in the spoiler section now, so hopefully you do, but the captain of the Quidditch team is really held in high regard. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's held equal to, is it Prefect or Head Boy? It's one of the two. Yeah. He gets, like, some elevated stats. Yes. So, I mean, he's he's a big... So, um, obviously, Cedric Diggory becomes a much bigger character in the next book, so we'll get to the, the you know, ins and outs of Cedric Diggory in Goblet of Fire. But the quote that really stands out to me is the whole, when Harry fainted, fell off his broom... They were literally in the process of racing towards the snitch, the two of them. And Cedric, being the captain, came down after the match was over, said, hey, I don't think this was fair. I don't think this was right. We should give them another chance. This was an extraordinary circumstance. Let's redo it. How Hufflepuff is that? In that he, the, the level of fairness, fair play, the honor that he's kind of bound by to just be like, you know, I know we won. I know we got the points. We're sitting pretty good. Like, Oliver Wood would not do this. No. Oliver Wood's taking well, that win and walking no, away. I, so, this is my... So, the note that Dan is criticizing me on uh-huh. is that my reaction... Quote your own note. <laughs> yeah, I will quote my own note. My, my quote to Cedric saying that they can have a redo is, eh, not impressed. Reason being... Okay. Is... Anyone who's not a Slytherin would have still felt bad. <sighs> Especially when you read the commentary after, like when Harry wakes up in the hospital, that almost the entire school thought he died. You literally also, Oliver Wood said he admitted Hufflepuff won fair and square. Mm-hmm. So he neglected to take Cedric up on his rematch offer. Yeah. Uh, they also said. They think Oliver is in the showers trying to drown himself. So, (laughs) where exactly are we at here? They're being very dramatic about it, but also because uh, Oliver Wood has been a little dramatic since it's his very last year on the team. And for the past two years, it should have won the Quidditch Cup, but Harry mucks it up in the end, but no one's going to blame him because he was actually the hero in the end. But this is his last chance... And then when you start off when you should have won it, and then instead you're 100 points behind, like, again, he's only a teenager. So, like, it makes sense that he's upset about it. I still And think, it's Fred and George who are saying that they think he's trying to drown himself. I still think this is such a Gryffindor response <laughs> from Julie. And I say, that fully, I say that fully knowing Anna would have the same exact reaction you do. Uh, to Cedric doing a really cool, nice, fair thing, whether they take him up on it or not. Okay, but I think that anyone Sportsmanship, besides... Julie, sportsmanship. Yeah, and I think that everyone would have sportsmanship except for Slytherin. Like, I think that any other house would have done the same thing of the, like, ugh, somebody almost died. The, we, can, we can redo this. The only way I disagree with you on that is I think there's levels. I think Cedric as the Hufflepuff captain... Above and beyond. I think Ravenclaw and Gryffindor consider it, but then take the point. Take take the win. Slytherin doesn't even literally show up to this match. 
<laughs> so that's the bottom level. So those okay, are the but levels. I'm saying like if. If Gryffindor was against Slytherin and this happened, mm-hmm. Slytherin would have been like, "Oh no, yeah. we won, oh, peace yeah. out." No, hundred percent. Yeah. Is Potter alive? Is he dead? Whatever. But I think you don't think Ravenclaw takes the takes the win. I think Ravenclaw would still sit there and go. They'd also probably believe that they could beat Gryffindor twice anyway. I mean, which I'm sure Cedric has that confidence of like, if we play fair and square, I think we have a chance to win anyway. Yeah, and so I think that he's doing what any. Decent person. Sorry to any Slytherins who are listening, but to what any... I'll just take it. You can stop right there. I'll take it as a compliment to Cedric and we're moving on. I think he's doing what any decent person would do in that situation. He knew that him and Harry were neck and neck going after the snitch. There's no way that he could have seen that his competitor was about to fall however many feet that was. Because they were both chasing after the same thing. And so then he went like, ooh, man, if I just walk away from this when, like, it wasn't really entirely fair, like, am I really a Hufflepuff? No, I'm a Slytherin. It's not that great. Everyone's applauding him for something that any decent person would have done. he does, look, I work in sports. I very rarely see good sportsmanship. (laughs) From kids, from adults, from everybody. (laughs) So when I see someone really going above and beyond, Cedric Diggory gets the Sportsmanship Award. There's a Sportsmanship Award that Illinois gives out every year. He gets it. Fine. I'm still going to say, eh, not impressed. When you hand him his Sportsmanship Award, I'm going to go, eh, not impressed. If you enjoyed the Cedric Diggory debate, get ready for Goblet of Fire. Because I'm sure between Julie, between Anna, this is going to be a whole thing. So I think Anna and I need to be on an episode together. Oh, Lord, I don't think I could survive that. Oh, oh boy. Okay. Um, I'm sure it will happen somewhere down the road. Anyway, what kind of thoughts uh, have you had on some of the previous chapters or episodes that we've had? Um, So one of the things I was thinking about, not necessarily previous chapters, but previous books overall, um, we talked about this a little bit the last time I was on, about J.K. Rowling kind of leaving breadcrumbs through the books. And in book one, you know, there's a lot of talk about Quirrell and his turban, Quirrell and his turban, Quirrell and his turban. And you don't really, like, think about it. You're just like, okay, like, you're randomly talking about this professor that they appear to almost never be in class with, but you talk about his turban a lot. Right. Whatever. And then, lo and behold, turban, Voldemort. Right. Um, whole point of book one. <laughs> then you get to book two... And it's Ginny, 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 Ginny. Right. Whereas, like, you're sitting there and you're like, okay, we're real focused on the only female. Julie, I think I know where you're going with this. Are you telling me that they mentioned scabbers a lot? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was reading earlier in the book and I was like, man, how did we not pick up on this? That all of a sudden, like... Every other page, we're talking about scabbers, whereas before, it's like, you know, a spell to turn them yellow, and then maybe you talk about them again. And then in this book, it's scabbers, 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 scabbers. Right. Yeah, she's not subtle with those hints. But somehow we never see these things coming. (laughs) I know. I'm I'm like, second, third, or however many rereads we're both at at this point, yeah, you can see this and you're like... Oh, boy. Yep. <laughs> wow. 
but you also, as a speak J.K. Rowling's writing, I think you had a note. Uh, after after I just well. complimented that, you know, she kind of hides things in plain sight that, you know, it takes 20 reads to see how obvious it is. I think one of the failings in her writing in this book, now again, like, this is my favorite Harry Potter book. Um, but I think one of the major failings is when she's talking about the Bogart. Because all of these fears are very, like, I don't know, simple, for lack of a better term. Like, when you think about it, first of all, I don't know how many people could actually adequately portray what their deepest fear is. Um, because think about the number of people who are never afraid of heights and then they go, like, zip lining and they're like, oh my god, the heights? Me? Right, something that like, nope. you don't even know or consciously think about. Yeah, like, <clears throat> can potentially be your sure. greatest fear. Unless, you know, we're saying that they can tell what you're most afraid of in the moment, or... They have some, like, like surreal power to yeah. see that. Yeah. Um, but the part that I take bigger issue with is when you look at what everyone's afraid of, they're all a simple object or a simple being. It's Ron and the spiders, which obviously we already knew, but it's they're afraid of You're telling me mummy. there's not, they're Dean Thomas afraid. doesn't have a great reason to be afraid of a severed hand? <laughs> That's what I'm saying, though. Like, I personally am, I have a fear of deep water. I don't like the idea of drowning, and me and deep water, not friends. So a bogart would just show like ocean sounds at you, See, but that or would, like if I just saw like ocean sounds, I'd be like, "Oh, cool! I'm on a beach. Where's my uh, pina colada? Let's go." That was my like, issue with it, with like my, the house thing that I came up with is like if that popped up, I wouldn't really be that wouldn't cripple me. Yeah, because like, what are they going to do if my deepest fear is deep water? Because if you pay attention, they never actually interact with the person it's all one big like mind game it's not like right. the spider is going up to ron and like crawling on him or anything it's just the thing itself the, the creature the bogger itself seems relatively harmless it literally is mentally paralyzed yeah yeah and so what are you going to do to show a fear of deep water yeah so because if you put me in the middle of like an ocean scene, I'm going to be like, oh, cool, I'm watching a nature documentary. Yeah, I think, between you and Anna, I think you pointed out two potential flaws. One in the class itself, and one in the writing. You're pointing out more of the writing. Anna pointed out, like, the, the flaw in the class is, this could have gone horribly wrong. In, in what, <laughs> so like, <true. laughs> in what, like, who knows if, you know, parents were, you know, died at a young age, or... Some family members were tortured, or what have you. You can see some really horrifying things. Yeah, well, imagine, like, um, Lupin later talks about Hey, how... we don't know what Dean's severed hand was. <laughs> that could have been a trauma. <laughs> that could have been the most real one of the whole thing. He actually lost his hand, and it was reattached by magic. It's fine. Um, but it makes me wonder, like, because, you know, Lupin prevents Harry from fighting right. the Bogart because he's afraid that, you know, Voldemort's going to show up in the classroom but depending on how far into the subconscious these creatures can go in reality it could turn into 
you could have had the whole scene of Voldemort killing Lily because you find out in the next chapter that Harry pieces together that the voices he's hearing are his mom's, which means that, like, the Dementors are capable of pulling out these, like, suppressed memories. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, who remembers anything from when they were sure. yeah. a baby? Um, and so you could have something super traumatizing, like Voldemort killing Lily Potter happen right in front of you. Um, but that's also assuming that they can go deeper into your subconscious and considering you thought a bunch of 13 year olds could take care of it. I don't know if they can. I agree. There, there's, <laughs> there are some practical flaws with the idea of uh, a bugger lesson in year three. Yeah. It just works out better than the hippogriff for Hagrid. <laughs> so... <laughs> Maybe we'd be talking about this whole thing way differently. Like, Hagrid's a great teacher and Lupin, <laughs> eh, this whole thing like reverses. But True. Um, who knows? So kind of in that same vein, because Lupin tells Harry why he didn't put him in front of the bugger. But um, when another thought that I had was when Snape gives Lupin the Wolfsbane potion, like obviously Harry's there and Harry's like, poison, he's poisoning you. Great Harry logic. We've and, gone with third year thick, by the way. That's <laughs> that's what we're going with. I love it. Um, but again, Harry, Ron, and Hermione talk about this, and they're like, "Oh man, he drank it. What?" And don't look into it at all. They're just like, "Well, he's an adult. He can make his own choices. Hopefully, he doesn't die tomorrow." They're very choosy about what they tend to Scooby-Doo figure out or not. They're just not doing very good on their Scooby skills right now. Apparently not. They need some Scooby snacks. That's a lot of Scooby-Doo references in one episode. (laughs) Uh, Anything else that you have from the previous? So I do have one other thing that I found um, interesting is, so Sirius Black attacks the castle on Halloween. Yeah. Can we talk about Halloween being the worst holiday at Hogwarts? It's not a great the one. Troll. Trolls in the dungeon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The uh, attack after the Death Day party in Chamber of Secrets. Now, a. You're saying there's some bad juju around yeah, Halloween. Yeah, you know, okay. Halloween, maybe everyone should go home. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I find interesting is Ron says maybe serious lost track of the days um, while he was in Azkaban because it, you know. Or just being on the run. Um, The one thing that I found a little, like, silly about that, again, trying to remember that they're, you know, 13-year-olds, so. um, 13-year-old logic. Yeah, yeah, 13-year-old logic. It kind of makes sense. But in reality, like, Azkaban is supposed to be impossible to escape from. Mm -hmm. And so when you're thinking about, like, who could escape Azkaban, like, your list is probably, like, Dumbledore and Merlin. Like, if you're making a list in the wizarding world of who can escape Azkaban... Grindelwald doesn't even escape his prison after he's put in there. Yeah. And that's not Azkaban, so... Yeah. And so when you, like, think about that, I just thought it was a little, like, humorous that Ron's like, yeah, he probably lost track of the days. It's like... He found a way to escape Dementors, but you think he doesn't know what day it is? is. Um, yeah, that's fair. And 
it like comes full circle because he's been eluding ministry. He's been eluding yeah. like <laughs> no, he purposely picked the day that he knew no one was going to be up there, no one would see him. He could hopefully sneak in. I just thought it was kind of funny that Ron's like, yeah, he escaped Azkaban, but he probably doesn't know what day of the week it is anymore. <laughs> it's it's a it's a Ron. It's a Ron moment. Ron has a couple of different moments in this chapter, both good and probably I mean, like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think that pretty much wraps up the chapter. Yeah. Um, it's a nice, neat little chapter. Uh, the next chapter, chapter 10, is massive. So <laughs> we'll, we'll end it here. Julie is returning for that chapter. So that's exciting. So please come back and listen to chapter 10, The Marauder's Map. It's kind of a big deal. Yeah. So we will end it here. Thanks for listening. Uh, check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, check out Julie's dog on Instagram. Yes. The dot marvelous underscore miss dot maple. That is a heck of a name. It's a mouthful. Uh, very adorable dog. If you want to see the dog, it's we featured maple on our Instagram <laughs> uh, modeling the beautiful Chamber of Secrets book. But anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll check out on the next one. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts a Pod.